Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I have the great joy today to interview a friend from across the nation, all the way on the West Coast, or if you're a, a MXPX fan, uh, the left coast, Pastor Miles Rohde. Miles, how you doing, man? Doing well. Thanks, Jared, for having me. Okay. Well, let's pray, ask for the Lord's help, and we're going to trust that he's going to give it. Father, I thank you for Miles and this opportunity we have to talk about life and pastoral ministry. I pray that everything that's said would honor you, and I pray that it would encourage people. And as we're talking, God, I pray that that there would be mutual encouragement. I mean, we're doing this interview, but I pray that this would be, uh, I want to be a help to Miles, and I, I trust that Miles is going to be a help to me as well. And uh, as always, Lord Jesus, just put a big spotlight just on yourself and, and help us to just uh, cherish you as we're talking. And we trust the Holy Spirit, you're going to lead us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So for those who don't know you, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and then what it is that you do? Yeah. So, um, Miles Rohde. I'm 48 years old. Uh, my wife, Pam, and I have been married for over 23 years. Uh, she is a native of Spokane, uh, born and raised here. And uh, we got married uh, in January of 97. We have two children. I have a 20-year-old son who is a sophomore college uh, at Eastern Washington University and an eighth grade daughter um, oh. who is in middle school. Who's okay. 14. Yeah. Now, how is that being a parent of a college student and a junior higher? Uh, um, almost the same um, for both. One, one thinks that she is a college student, but a junior higher, and one is a college student who acts like a junior higher sometimes. So, um, <laughs> and it's, they're great. They're great kids. Uh, they do very well in school. Um, and, uh, but this COVID issue is, is obviously put a, a crinkle in, in their social life and stuff, but they're, right. they're well-behaved kids and I'm, I'm proud to be their papa. That's awesome. All right. Well, why don't you go ahead and tell us your, your history of uh, Christianity. When was it that you became a Christian? When were you redeemed, rescued, saved? When did Jesus get a hold of you? Yeah. So uh, early in the fall of 1988, um, I was a sophomore in high school in Houston, Texas, and there were there were kids uh, in in my choir class uh, on the football team um, who just for some reason in hindsight they had uh, kind of I think they were part of a couple of youth groups and maybe they had a mission uh, put out by their youth pastor you know think of one person that you would like to share the gospel with right and for a handful of people I was um, I was I was target number one. <laughs> and um, and so in December of 88, there was a girl that I had really grown fond of, but she was a Christian. I was Catholic, so I thought I was. And um, and I tried to ask her out a couple of times. She says, I can't you know, date you. You're not a believer. And, uh, and I said, well, of course I am. You know, I'm Catholic. And um, but I didn't know what I was saying, nor what she was saying. Um, but long story short, there was some prayer for me um, and other students who came um just came into my life during that time that I was invited to a youth group's um, Christmas party uh, in December on December 15th 1988 
where they were playing, of all things, this is 1980s youth group, but they were playing, you know, uh, Bible trivia, <laughs> nice. which is the worst yeah. thing to do if you were trying to share the gospel with anybody, you know, who yeah. is an unbeliever. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but, but the Lord uses all sorts, and he used them, and my, my embarrassment to some extent that I didn't know any of those things that they were talking about. And, uh, and so the young man who, whose house we were in um, asked if he could visit with me privately. So we went outside uh, his front yard um, in December in Texas. So I was wearing t-shirt and shorts okay. um, for Christmas and, and he shared the gospel with me and I'd never heard anything like it. I knew, I knew the name of Jesus to that extent um, and celebrated you know, birth and Easter, but uh, the gospel was only something I knew that was read during a liturgy uh, right. in, in service when, whenever we went. So um, I, I repented of my sins, um, trusted in Christ uh, in his front lawn. And uh, as we were about to walk back into the house, I opened the door and there's everybody there who was listening outside, <laughs> you know, uh, um, because that was the whole point of why they invited me. And yeah. so um, I was for, I'm forever and eternally grateful for uh, the young men who had that courage and for those kids that prayed for me. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it changed my life, obviously more ways than just eternal. Um, it yeah. changed a complete trajectory for me, uh, for my eventual family and, uh, and where I am currently. Okay. It's interesting as I've talked to different pastors there's a similar theme, not with all of them, but it's it's somewhat similar where they were the guy that everyone thought would never become a Christian. And when they did, everybody, it was just the talk of the town. We're like, no way. Are you kidding me? Miles Rohde, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's interesting how God does that. So yeah. let's fast forward then. So we backtrack. Fast forward, bring us up to speed then. So you're, now you're a Christian and but you've been a pastor for, for a long time now. So how were you called into pastoral ministry? Let's talk through the internal and that external process into, into the, into the work. Yeah. So I, um, the youth group that, that these kids were a part of was part of a Southern Baptist church in Houston. And so I immediately got, uh, grafted into that youth group and fell in love with the, the youth pastor who was a godly man. And, and, um, we had a fairly large youth camp that summer, the first of its kind for me, because I'd never been to anything like that in, in June of 89. And um, one of the associate pastors was, was actually preaching um, one of those nights on uh, the call to pastoral ministry, um, mm. which, which was, I mean, it, it was something I was completely unfamiliar with um, at that time, but I can't now for the life of me recall since then any other youth events that I've been a part of or have even led um, where, where that intentional of, of a message about the call to ministry mm -hmm. uh, was given. So it was, it was unique. It was unique for me in, in my context. Um, but I, I remember in the midst of that for the week, that was the whole real thing. I mean, he shared the gospel. There were kids who were saved, but there was, uh, an impetus on his part to make sure that uh, there was asked, um, are any of you feeling this call and, and what it what it looked like? And, and so um, I remember on one night 
that that feeling of you know the pulse racing, my heartbeat you know jumping up, um, feeling as if there's a bit of tunnel vision that I can only see him and nobody else. You know, mm. my attention is just uh, gripped, and and that I was the only one he he was speaking to, and so. Um, there was an invitation to to come and and to find out more about what that that looks like and what that right. means. And so I came forward with a few other guys, um, and you know, so if you can kind of picture a youth pastor is doing much of this event, the the youth camp, an associate pastor is actually preaching. Um, the senior pastor of this church, and it was a large church. Uh, ended up taking those young men who had said yes uh, to that, developed a young aspiring pastor's Bible study with high school students, you know, wow. and this is a, this was a Man. senior pastor who was late in his sixties and um, Dr. Bill Bennett. And uh, um, yeah, that's, that was my first exposure to not, not so much. I've said, yes. Okay. Now let's do something. Um, about it it's you said yes let's spend time in prayer let's look at the scriptures for yeah. all of us it was the first time we'd ever look at this looked at the scriptures from the, the aspect of what it means to be in vocational ministry or mm -hmm. uh, a pastoral ministry of sorts so that was back in uh, the summers of um, 89 and 90 mm -hmm. and then I upon graduation became the senior pastor's intern for the summer which okay. uh which meant I got a booker. He told me I needed to buy a new book every week, which uh, probably began what is now my wife's um, dread upon my death. Um, <laughs> and what she's going to do, she said the books are going to be what's going to pay for my funeral. There you go. Um, and and just to spend a, a, a significant amount of time observing him pastor. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and a lot of time in prayer, um, a lot of time getting his dry cleaning and getting his shoes done and washing his car, just servant type stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I never felt that I was uh, demeaned by any of that. It was it was just a joy to be in his presence and 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 to be led that way. So um, after I had left that, I went off to college and uh, tried to run away from this call, and and did a pretty decent job um, of doing that to where in uh, January of 93 my family had left Texas to move to Minnesota um, I had a pretty horrible breakup with the gal that I actually liked that was part of that group that led me to the Lord so we've okay. been dating for nearly four four and a half years thought we were gonna get married and and uh, that broke up um, horribly uh, in my estimation it was a good thing for her and so I left college um, moved up to Minnesota and joined the Air Force. Um, okay. I was a, an Army brat for years before that, and and so military was in our, our DNA. And um, so I left college my sophomore year, joined the Air Force, and pursued um, what I thought. So I, I actually thought that I would go into the military to kind of stave off the um, the pursuit of God on me by becoming a chaplain that that would satisfy the call and that this this hound of heaven would be would get off my back yeah um but then in basic training um i got 
a the special operations guys came in and tried to recruit as many as they could and there was one uh, operation that was called SEER survival evasion resistance resistance and escape okay and they asked they asked if anybody wanted to get paid to teach people how to camp and I thought man that's how I want to spend the rest of my Air Force yeah um, jumping out of planes scuba diving going into the mountains all that kind of stuff well that was the bait um, to get you to say yes and in in a year's time they would have about three thousand uh, people say yes to that little indoctrination and um, my graduating class graduated with a lead seer instructor so uh, i became a seer instructor in uh, december of 94 um, and uh, we called it combat survival instructors and it was at that time the most barbaric of the career fields that you could have it was it was like being a mountain man, um, oh. but with a uniform, and um, uh, it was it it perpetuated a godlike kind of persona, um, okay. because there wasn't anything that we couldn't do in in the woods or the wilderness or in any environment, and um, and we many of us would be young, who would be training people who were older or mm -hmm. even much more higher rank. And we were the authorities. So, um, and we were gifted, you know, gifted in teaching and right. troubleshooting and leadership, all those kinds of things. Um, so that only uh, exacerbated this this desire of mine to run away from the call. But a month after graduating uh, as an instructor, I was awoken by um, this disturbance in my spirit in the middle of the night that um, made me go to the yellow pages um, which I know for the younger pastors on this um, they'll have to google that the older yep. pastors know exactly what that's like but to look at the yellow pages to find a church because I've I've felt in my spirit the Lord saying the running ceases now wow um, and um, you need to find a church and so I'm looking for a church and, and lo and behold, I find a, a church that their advertisement was, we are the um, fellowship of excitement, you know, and, okay. um, and Bible preaching. And I'm like, okay, that's great. It said Baptist in the name because I had come out of a Southern Baptist youth group background right. when I was saved. And, and so that was Pines Baptist Church in Spokane. Um, so a gap in the story was the survival school for the Air Force is located here in Spokane at Fairchild Air Force Base. Okay. So in uh, 93, 94, I moved up to Spokane. Um, January 95, I find this church in the Spokane Valley. And uh, that is the church where my wife was born um, and raised. And she okay. was a college student at that time in Missouri at Southwest Baptist University. Okay. And, um, and so I... I repented of running. Um, I found the youth pastor there who uh, became a Paul to me as I was his Timothy. And wonderful. He was prior military, so we we got along, and he cared for me. and And then people in that that church started trying to set me and Pam up, and they were successful. So okay, very cool. Yeah. So it sounds like I'm going to pull a couple names uh, uh, from from that story here. Bill was the first guy that that took you under his wing when you were a 19 year old. Is that correct, Bill Bennett? Correct. 
Bill Bennett. Okay, and then you had a Paul and Timothy moment with the youth pastor at the church in Spokane. Now, those two guys, that that experience, I know you've went through some difficult seasons as well, but those are really good experiences, positive experiences that a lot of guys haven't haven't had the opportunity to have. What impact did Bill and this this other youth pastor have on you that's maintained uh, the way you do pastoral work today? How has their legacy continued on, passed down through their discipleship of you? Yeah, I, I think both of them would have similar um, beliefs in, in how they would live their lives, but two things specifically that were, um, that I received from each one exclusive of the other their bills, as he was much older, late 60s, um, a PhD, brilliant man, but his love for the word and his love for preaching and his ability to preach uh, and gifting was um, remarkable. And, and so it was, that was infectious. Um, and then Corey, who was the youth pastor here uh, that took me under his wing, his was more family. Um, his relationship with his wife was something that my, my wife and I were instantly, even as a, a brief engaged couple, were brought in and kind of cared for and shepherded as a couple um, mm -hmm. by this couple. And so the way that they would interact as husband and wife, the way he would serve her, the way she served him, the way, um, the way they dreamed and prayed and, and um, that was, and how they did, that was evident. And that's, that was something, even though the, for the care of souls that he was really good in, um, that was a significant takeaway um, in awesome. that relationship. Awesome. And we were often invited into their home almost all the time, mm -hmm. uh, not to do anything specific other than just be. And that's where a lot of the observation took place. That's so good. And for the older pastors, everybody at, at any point in your ministry, you're younger and older than somebody. I mean, that's, that's, just, the, that's just the part of life. There's always somebody younger, to, that younger than you that you can take under your wing. And there's also always people older than you that have walked the road before before you and for the older pastors listening in just hear the impact of those guys that came alongside of miles and that legacy continues on today what seems like you know simple things inviting somebody into your home to pray together ends up having this lasting impact that's still impacting people today and i love to hear that the faithfulness of you know god using saints before and uh and continuing on that work from generation to generation is such a powerful thing um so Okay, heart ministry, you know, we have these, these great seasons of ministry we can look back on. And you've been at this now since, since you were a younger man, and, and you're still young. Every year I get older, young just gets older and older, too, you know. That's right. Um, and so, you know, you're, you're still very green and very young, and, but you have been in it for, for a while now. And so you have these moments as you look back where you just, you know, you and your wife could look at and say, my goodness, wasn't that amazing? I mean, so many people met Jesus. So many people were discipled. It just seemed to be this really fruitful time. And then you've had really difficult seasons as well. And you can look back in a journal or look back at a season of life and just say that that was so hard. And the difficult thing about life as a man is taking difficult situations and learning positive lessons from them you know, lessons that we don't want to repeat. And that's so much better than becoming bitter and angry, shutting ourselves off to people. And that happens. I mean, we see former pastors all over the place that have taken difficult situations and they become calloused and bitter and hard 
and can't, they have no room in their heart for, for, I mean, family even much less the church. And so would you just describe a difficult season in your life? It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, I, in the question, put the most difficult, but just something that you went through that was hard that people could, that there may be going through a similar situation and feel like there's no point. It feels arbitrary. And then here is, you know, this guy, Miles, talking about what God has taught me through that. And so what, what's something that's been difficult for you in your ministry that God has taken and worked it for your good and changed you and made you a better man because of it? Two things specifically. One is, is more um, zeroed into a time, and then the other one is, is more broad that it happens quite often, but is, is the same thing that, that I, I deal with. So the first would be back in our first church where I was a solo pastor, um, senior pastor, after time in youth ministry, small rural town in southwest Minnesota. Um, we had no friends in the church. Mm-hmm. And I had moved my young wife and our two-year-old son uh, from the place, the only place that they knew to a place that um, as you entered it as a town, we felt the spiritual oppression in the town. Wow. Um, largely um, either uh, Catholic heavy or, or Lutheran heavy spirituality but no no relationship no no life and you had you had uh schwann's foods were headquartered there the schwann's ice cream truck those push-ups those schwann's push-ups those were so good as a kid i love those (laughs) that's right so you had you had a a large company and all of its execs and all of its employees and and the rural soybean and, and corn farmers. And right. so that was the makeup of our church. Our church was only 10 years old, or maybe it was 15 years old at that time, and was the product of four splits before oh, I got there. Yeah. Okay. And I was, I was the fifth pastor of, um, in a number where one of the, pa- the pastor before me had been there 10 years. So there was such um, strife and hurt and pain, hmm. and I was seen as um an employee and okay. yeah and the one who was also going to get the grass mode oh, and um, and whenever there were any kind of decisions uh, especially confronting some sin um we we knew we felt like we had no one uh, to go to uh, even the the leaders that i had at that time were only leaders because one was a local dentist one had taught adult Sunday school, the only adult Sunday school we had, and one had led music. And so they became the, the de facto deacons at that time. And um, so uh, a year and a half into that, into that time of three years that we were there, my father-in-law back in Spokane had a massive stroke and um, we had no money to be able to even get back home because um, we were paid quite poorly. Okay. And, um, and then when we left, cause we had some help from some other family members to get there and then had to rack up some debt to get there. Uh, gone two weeks. I found somebody to, to fill the pulpit and, um, we get back to find out that there was a secret meeting to determine whether or not I should have been paid 
during those two weeks away. Oh, brutal. And so brutal. At, at that time, my, a year and a half, um, my wife says, I'm done here. Yeah. And, right. um, and so get your resume out. Well, we were there for another year and a half hmm. and it was, uh, in hindsight, it, it prepared us for much more, um, bigger problems, but uh, it also gave us a foundation uh, from which uh, if this didn't happen, if this season in our life didn't happen, she and I as a husband and wife wouldn't have been prepared because we only had each other. Yeah. Um, right. And I lived a block away from the church. So there were times I'd come home in tears um, and she's the only one, you know, who knew what was going on. And um, so, yeah, that, that was the hard one. Uh, season. And the one that's more general that happens often that, um, that I struggle with is just that the, the lie of the enemy of doubting my call, which happens, you know, sometimes it happens every Monday for a pastor. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, now in, in the middle ages of my life, um, I know how to respond to that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still always there and, yeah. uh, and I can actually be grateful for it because it, it has, it causes all of us who struggle with this to recognize that we're not the one who has called us, um, yeah. that we, we have been called and we are being equipped mm -hmm. and, um, but early on devastating thing to experience it, it yeah. caused a few dark nights of the soul for me. Um, mm -hmm. and, and now I'm able to talk with a lot of younger pastors as they're walking through, you know, about ready to check out of the ministry altogether. And, right. um, and, and yeah, but it still happens, but that's, that's one that constantly plagues me, but yeah. I, right. I know the Lord is in that. I think that's, that's common with a lot of guys of just, especially guys that were called into ministry that didn't have that light bulb moment that lightning bolt moment where they just knew that they knew that they knew that God has called me to this work. And, you know, if, if, if I don't preach Christ, you know, I, I'm gonna, you know, I, I just can't survive, you know, kind of right. thing. And so, especially seasons of difficulties, I could see that stirring up. Now um, for you, when you went through that time at that church where they're debating whether or not they're going to pay you, one of the things, you know, I've experienced similar situations to that as well. You know, as I hear your story, I'm thinking, man, I, I had quick ministry experiences from an early age in different situations from being a church planter, lead pastor to a campus pastor to an associate pastor at a church in different models of ministry. And each came with unique challenges and difficulties. But one of the things that I, that I learned is, it, you know, we got to be careful when we make statements like this, but I do not think pastors are it's that it's inevitable that we're going to make the same mistakes as generations before just like i don't think a son has to make the same mistakes as his father did there's generational sins and patterns that can be broken so it's not inevitable but in your mind was there kind of like a stake that was put in the ground for you and your wife like we will never treat ever treat a young pastor and his wife like this ever it will it will never happen we are never going to do this to somebody else is that something that kind of stirred up inside of you or um is that something that maybe i mean i experienced that i was wondering if you did yeah not to that degree where it was planting a flag in the ground i mm -hmm. think our makeup was um 
I don't think we could ever do this to anybody, you know, for one thing. Um, but at, at the right times, the Lord had insulated me with other men, you know, who weren't in my church, mm -hmm. other pastors who, as, as I might have grown more cynical, came in to basically rescue me, to insulate me, to, to keep me from maybe some of those things. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't have that, you know, by God, I'm never going to do this. Um, right. But, but I, but I have always felt very um, protective of, yeah. of young, young pastors and, um, and feel like, okay, I've got a few that I'm visiting with. Do you need me to come and, you know, share with your, your folks while you take, you need me to pulpit supply and, and preach that message that they need to hear, you know, those kinds of things, which right. can't always be super helpful, but it at least, you know, it lets the, the young man know that he's not alone. But yeah. Um, yeah, congregations easily can chew people, chew their pastors up and spit them out. Yeah. Um, as well as pastors can do that to their people. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to skip a question that I, that probably everybody wants to ask you when, when somebody finds out that, there was a pastor who was a former Mars Hill pastor. It's just, you know, I feel like for the rest of your life, you're going to get questions about Mar Mars Hill. Um, it's a Scarlet M. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, probably there's a company of men that served there together that are going to get questions about Mars Hill for the rest of their lives. But I'm going to skip over that, that question I have for you, just because I, I want to get to just to uh, just change gears here a little bit about, um, about family and about you just as a man before the Lord. So, one of the things I equip pastors with is I talk through pastoral priorities. And if, if a man's identity is his work, work can give us purpose, but it can't give us identity. And this language is not unique to me. It, it's, it's something that most pastors have heard before, but a man before he's a preacher is a Christian. He's a husband, he's a father, he's a friend. And then down the line, you know, he's a pastor and most pastoral failures and burnouts fail at the exact same point, And it's that first one, a man doesn't know how to be a child of God. He just doesn't know how to faithfully walk before God and men. He, he abandons the disciplines of just basic spiritual disciplines. His prayer life is in shambles and his external life and internal life are two different worlds. So his, in, his private life and public life are two in op opposites, opposite ends of the spectrum. So how have you, two questions, fought, fought to be a child of God before anything else, just, just personally as a man, and then how have you fought and continued to fought to keep your family a priority? And this is, for me, I get language before I get application. It's the same thing with Christian obedience. You know what you are to do, and then it's a lifelong pursuit of actually doing it. So how do you make being a child of God a priority? And then how do you make your family a priority in the life of the pastor and the Christian man? Yeah, so the first one um, was... It was divinely, um, if I can use that word, forced upon me uh, okay. to recognize that. Um, in December of 2017, in January 2018, it was a heavy season uh, before that of ministry, marriages in shambles in, in our church, way too much marital counseling for one person uh, to be walking through. We had no elders at that time. We had uh, elder candidates um, that we were raising up. And um, for the first time in 
while I've had vacations, uh, this was the first time I was actually going to do nothing from our Christmas Eve service to uh, our anniversary service, which is about a week apart, the first okay. Sunday in, in January. I wasn't going to do anything. Um, and, and so I didn't. For a week, I don't think I showered for six days. Um, I I burned all the Christmas trash to the glory of God and and smoked a lot of cigars. Um, I didn't open my email. I didn't open my Bible. I didn't do any of that. And on New Year's Day, went to go get my daughter who was spending the night at a house of a friend. And um, I'm having what I was what I thought I was experiencing was either a heart attack or blacking out. Uh, one right. or the other. And that happened three times in the course of the trip home from getting her from a friend's house where I'd had to pull over on the interstate a couple of times because I thought I was going to literally pass out. Hmm. Um, I go to preach um, the following Sunday, even the week leading up to that Sunday had a few more episodes of where I would, my knees would buckle and I feel like I was about to just fall to the ground to driving um, and and my hands you know uncontrollably shaking and feeling um, this wave of unconsciousness sweeping from the bottom of my feet all the way to the top of my head mm -hmm. while in the car and uh, so I go to the ER at the uh, VA hospital and they do all sorts of heart monitoring scans echoes they find nothing um, on on the Sunday of our our third is it our third, our third anniversary service in the, in, and people can go online and see this actually taking place um, where in the middle of the sermon, um, I pause because I'm holding on to the pulpit for dear life, thinking I'm, I'm about to, I'm about to just go. Hmm. And uh, I catch myself, I ask for a stool and I explained to the church that I've been having these issues, which at that time we didn't know what they were, if they were heart related or brain related, we had uh, brain scans, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Fast forward, um, well, at that moment, the leadership of the church demanded that I take six weeks off to get uh, some treatments, go to the doctors, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I start counseling as well through Crosspoint Ministry uh, online yeah. and come, come to find out through the VA and PTSD and anxiety specialists that I was suffering panic attacks. and. Okay. Um, and so through the course of learning that and the course of the counseling, pastoral counseling I was receiving, it was, um, I was discovering that my identity was almost all bound up in what I did and not who I was um, in, in God. And in the first three weeks of being on that leave, um, I wanted to quit. Um, because I felt like, and I also worried what happens because we didn't know what it was at the time. What happens if I can't ever get back to the pulpit again? Right. You know, yeah, what do I do? do? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's not a market for uh, pastor slash survival instructor um, <laughs> out there, you know, except maybe in Northern where, you know, certain militias are, but uh, um, so th that was a, a big fear for us. But one of the watershed moments in the counseling happened um, where I was asked, because the, the, the counselor was asking me, um, and this was the first time I'd ever been into real counseling. Mm -hmm. He had asked me, um, 
what what was a, a safe place for me? Where would I like to be right now? And I, and I think it was cold at that time. So I said, someplace warm place, sunny, you know, maybe a beach where there's nobody, all that kind of stuff. And so he says, okay, and close my eyes. And um, I'm on the beach walking. Um, where is God? Where is your father? And I said, well, he's, he's in front of me and I'm following him. Um, and then he asked me the strangest question. He asked me, what are you wearing you know which is an odd question but um and i said i'm wearing a uniform mm. and and he said miles this is how you view your relationship with your father you he is your commander in chief and you are a faithful soldier mm. and and there's distance between you you know your faith he's faithful in leading yeah but but you won't draw close to him because you know, that's, that's frowned upon, you know, you're to be that faith, faithful soldier. And, uh, and so we spent weeks going through that to where, um, unbeknownst to me, he was going to ask a, a similar kind of a question and, and lead that conversation. And, um, and it ended up, I was no longer, uh, I was being carried by my father, mm -hmm. uh, not, not walking side by side. I'm being carried by my father. And, uh, and he said, and what do you see around you? And I said, I, I'm looking and I mean, it's clear as day. I said, I see the you laying on the sand. And, uh, and so that was a watershed moment for me. Um, and then I came back to preaching seven weeks later in a, ser in a sermon called trimming the wick, what I was learning while the Lord has seen fit to remove me from the pulpit. Wow. And, um, and so that, that changed a trajectory for me. It also, uh, to answer your second question, it highlighted um, and emphasized, while I have had healthy priorities uh, before with family, uh -huh. uh, they, were all, they were always subservient to the pastorate. Gotcha. And um, even though I never intended it to be and, and yeah. never desired that, um, Many of us have probably heard, you know, this, the, the sayings of, um, you know, pastors always have, pa all pastors have mistresses. Yeah. And it's the church, you right. know, and um, as horrible as that is to say, that's what it kind of feels like for our brides. Um, and so that's those six weeks while I was removed from the pulpit were the sweetest times for me and my wife. Um, oh my God. She, not only did she care for me as she always has, but it was, it was a caring um, that I don't think either of us had the capacity before to, to give or receive. Yeah. And, um, and so that, that built a foundation and our kids, you know, were watching all of this and um, it was a, it was a sweet moment. So Crazy. how we make, yeah, how we make priority now, I mean, has bled from that. Uh, we don't overcommit to things. Um, we, we celebrate and cherish uh, often regular family times of getting together, you know, for dinners and, and praying and, you know, nothing that would just seem weird for us, you know, like, okay, kids, we're going to, you know, for, for my kids, it would be weird for them to, to walk through um, a structured formal lesson, which I would actually love, uh -huh. but they would, they would be like, we don't need pastor dad, we need dad, you know, right. and 
And so those conversations happen in the midst of how their days have been, the yeah. conversations around the dinner Good. table. Um, and some other real basic practical things that have really just been a blessing for us is, um, you know, my son's 20 and, and my daughter's 14. There's not been a time, um, if they're in the home, that not that all four of us that we are not we're all bringing in the groceries together we're all putting them away together That's we're good. all doing those kinds of things together to enforce that that we are a family and we we serve one another it's not uh, there's not that hierarchy in terms of um, of of responsibility I mean there is that but yeah we're all in this so those are just some fun things. That's good. All right. Well, my regular listeners know where I'm going. It's my, it's my last question I'm going to throw your way. And what I, I like doing for anybody I interview is to set you up just to praise Jesus and to end with the glory of God. And so I just want to ask you, Miles Rohde, why do you love Jesus? Well, when I looked at that question, the first thing that came to mind, which is probably going to be the, the best thing I can come up with, is his never-ending patience with mm. me. Ooh, um, good. That's good. I, I fail him often, and he has never, and nor will he ever. So uh, it's his never-ending patience. Awesome. Praise God. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I'm thankful for your honesty. I'm thankful for what you've brought to this. And I think that the people listening are really going to be encouraged, really going to be helped. And so, Miles, appreciate appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, brother. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.